Welcome back in everyone to a fabulous new episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined today by an incredible artist who's got a wonderful show happening here in town. Joining us, we have the playwright and performer Mona Pernod, whose show I Love You So Much I Could Die is playing now through March 9th at New York Theatre Workshop. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting nytw.org. We had the distinct pleasure of getting to see this work a couple weeks ago, and it really was fantastic, like nothing else you've seen. So let's dive more into the show by welcoming on our guest, Mona, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy that we are getting to chat about your great show. I love you so much. I could die. It was such a journey, such a wonderful journey. And the the way it's told is also really fantastic. So can we start by having you tell us a little bit about what this show is and is about? Sure. So for people who have no context at all, there is a table on stage with a laptop on the table and my guitar next to the table. And I walk on stage and sit with my back to the audience. My back is to the audience the entire show. And I open the laptop and I press play on a text-to-speech tool that reads aloud a monologue. The voice is sort of robotic and the monologue is in first person. You learn within the first story that the first person monologues are mine, this woman sitting with her back to you. And at the end of the first story, I play a song and then I play another story, play another song. And it goes on like that. It's five stories and five songs. And as the play progresses, the audience comes to learn why I'm employing this tool and sort of what the story behind the fragmented stories is is wonderful and and a perfect depiction of what we get to experience. So I'm curious to know, where did you come up with the idea to put the show together? What was the inspiration? Sure. I mean, I had written a lot during 2020 and 2021 about a personal crisis that had collided with the global crisis of the pandemic. And it was just such an extraordinarily difficult time that I was writing for myself to get through it and to also get a little distance from it probably. And then when I came back to New York after six months in Florida with my family, I had this big stack of writing about the event. And because I'm a playwright, I wanted to make a play. A a novelist would have made a novel and someone else would have made something else, but I wanted to do the thing that I love to do the most. So I started thinking of ways to make it into a play. And it was just a series of kind of binary choices along the way. This feels good, this feels bad. This feels good, this feels bad. And soon enough, the idea of imagining having actors play family members felt bad or having actors be in it at all felt bad. But then having the thought of me speaking felt bad. So it was just a series of choices made along the way out of necessity and then it ended up being something that I'm formally really proud of I love that I'm so sorry the circumstances in which this show kind of takes form but but I'm so happy that it's that you've been able to use art to 
I don't want to say process it, but also just tell the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. It was both. Also to process for myself, definitely. So what has it been like developing this piece? Well, at first, Lucas and I, so Lucas Nath is the director and my husband. (laughs) Funny to say Lucas Nath so formally. My husband and I built it in our apartment, basically, because that's the only place we could all be. This was pre-vaccine and pre-people getting back into rooms. So I would just write these stories and have the text-to-speech tool read them out loud. And our bedroom that I'm in right now is set up such that my desk is facing the wall and the bed is behind me. And he would sit on the bed and I would sit at my desk and I would write a story and play it for him or play him a song. And I did the whole thing with my back to him. And then as we started getting some interest from other theaters and we did a couple of workshops and things like that, we just kept the integrity of the thing that we built in our apartment. And we just went into bigger and bigger spaces testing it out and it still looks a lot like it did on those like snowy days back in the winter of 2021 when we workshopped it together here that is so amazing i love all that yeah with the subject matter of your show with the way you know you, like you said there's five stories and five songs which is beautiful Is there a message or a thought that you hope audiences take away from your piece? Gosh, that's a tough question. I think that I can answer it by saying that there are things I've already heard that have been surprising to me that have meant a lot, because I guess what I would hope audiences would bring away would be something that is so entirely their own and so surprising to me. But I had a friend tell me that watching the play for her felt like a guide to not only how to get through grief and difficult times in life, but how to communicate it to other people. And this was when we did a workshop early on in, I think in December before we started rehearsal and we invited this person and she just had so many gorgeous things to say. And that one really stuck with me. Yeah. And I've had people email me and say that because of the way that the play is formatted and the lack of visual information, they felt a lot of permission to think about their own lives and their own experience with loss, with love, with change. And that is very much the intention. So it means a lot to me when I hear that people have a private meditative experience where they're coming in and out of my story and their own story. So wonderful. I love that. My final question for this first part is, who do you hope have access to I Love You So Much I Could Die? Oh, gosh. I mean, everybody. I've been so pleasantly surprised by the range of ages of folks that have responded to the show. I've been surprised by the range of theater folk to non-theater folk that have responded to the show. I really just hope that that anybody who is up for watching something that is unusual and may require a bit of something from them, you know, I, I do hope to take care of the audience and I really try to. And I guess the only way I know how to is to take care of them the way that I would want to be taken care of. So 
I thought of that along the way as I constructed the piece of what would I want to see down to runtime and what's communicated to me and what the lights are doing and that sort of thing. But I, I still, of course, understand that it's a demanding piece. So I guess anyone who's up for that, I want them to be able to come, to be able to afford to come and to find the time to come and yeah. second part of our interviews we love letting our listeners get the chance to get to know our guests a little bit better pull the curtain back if you will and i would love to know what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites yeah gosh you know i feel like i could say one or two things or 20 or 25 things. So I think I'll say one or two because I know if I try to do something more comprehensive, I'll leave out something important and later I'll kick myself for it. So just off the top of my head, the last two things I saw, the last two plays I saw before I went into the whole of my own play, I saw Heather Christian's piece and I think she is brilliant and really moves me. I saw it was it was terse, a practical brevity, and it was so moving. And I saw Julia Mouncey and Peter Mills Weiss's piece at Under the Radar and oh, Open Mic Night is what it was called. And I loved it. It was thrilling. It was funny. It was punk rock. It was the kind of theater that I just love. And so I'm, I feel very lucky that the last two things I saw before I went into the rehearsal bubble and was unable to see things were like some of the best things I've seen in the past several years. That is fantastic. Some great, great shows listed in there. So that's wonderful. Of course, I have a long list of playwriting heroes and people that I tried to write like for a while and people that made it so that I wanted to be in theater at all. But again, I'm too intimidated by leaving anyone off. So I, I won't even try to touch that. But I'm a big theater fan. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yes, I love that. Well, you've kind of mentioned this a little bit, and I know you've been busy with your show, but I still want to ask, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? I feel like the one that got away was Public Obscenity, as I wanted to see it so badly, and I heard nothing but absolutely gorgeous things about it. And I am just a fan of Misha, who's a wonderful person, but I didn't get to see it because the first time it was up, I was out of town. And then this time it collided right with my run. So I'm sad to have missed that. But yeah, I saw Heather Christian's show and that was wonderful. And I saw Open Mic Night and I'll go see anything that Julia Mouncey and Peter Mills Weiss ever do and anything that Heather Christian ever does. A while back, my friend Milo Kramer had a show at Playwrights called School Pictures. Milo is one of my dearest friends. And so I could be biased, but I thought that was one of the best things to come along in years. So if there's... And I hope that there will be another life for school pictures at some point. Couldn't recommend it highly enough. Really insightful, really funny. Milo is completely singular. And then David Greenspan has a show. I'm the biggest David Greenspan fan in the world. So I would recommend anything David ever does. 
I don't know how long Theta Barra is running for, but I saw the other run of it before it came back. So I didn't catch this last one, but I saw it months ago. Wonderful suggestions. Love all of that. Well, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? You know, the theater world is so small and I feel so proud of my contemporaries. And again, instead of trying to say something that'll capture every feeling ever, I can talk about recent feelings. And yesterday, my friend Sanaz, Sanaz Tusi, playwright, left me a two minute long voicemail. I was having a bit of a tough day because this show is my dream come true. But it's it's tough. It's It's tough to do every day. And there are no shortage of friends I have that understand the highs and lows of putting your heart and soul out there for judgment. And so I called a couple of friends and they made themselves available to me. And, you know, Sonalis was one of those friends and she left me a voice memo that I'm glad I didn't listen to it too soon before walking on stage because it made me cry. And just the support that we all give each other. And, you know, there are pros and cons to it being such a small business, but I think that's probably my favorite part is that I, a lot of my favorite playwrights are now my dear friends. And that is so moving. I feel like the New York Times theater page is like Facebook to me. And I'm like, there goes that person doing this thing. I'm so proud of them. And look at them and look at that, you know, so I'm just very proud to be like swimming in this water. That is such a wonderful answer. And I'm so glad that, that that this world, that you exist in this world, you know, in this community. That's so fantastic. And that leads me to my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Okay, well, this comes to mind, and then I'll have to send this podcast to him. I, for years, wanted to get into Youngblood so badly thought it was the coolest thing that could happen to anyone ever. Youngblood is the emerging writers group at Ensemble Studio Theater, pretty legendary group. And I applied one year and I got a meeting with Graham and RJ and I had hoped it went well and I felt like it did. And then I remember stepping out of the 42nd Street station like no it was 50th street like 50th street and ninth and I got a call from Graham Graham and RJ are the co-artistic directors of Youngblood and Graham said hi is this Mona I said yes and he said well I wanted to let you know that you got into Youngblood so if you're still interested we would love to have you and I just like scream laughed and went if I'm still interested and I think of that, I get that vivid little movie every time I come out of 50th and 9th. That's, it's this like sense memory I have associated with that subway exit of getting the phone call that it just felt like winning the lottery. And then I had six beautiful years in Youngblood and it's one of the most important few years of my life. I changed so much as a writer through that program and made a lot of best friends and Many, many happy theater memories come out of those 
several years in Youngblood, but the one that comes to mind is that very first phone call on that very specific street corner. That is just such a wonderful memory. I mean, I love, I love hearing those, getting the call memories, you know, that just, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, from one actor to another, that just, oh, oh, makes my heart Yeah. Full. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Do you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Oh, I do, but I, it's like, not announced yet. I so wish that I could be giddy about it with you, but yeah, keep your eyes peeled, but I can't say just yet. I've got a, another play coming up next year. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. This is so exciting. And, and you know what? That is a great lead into my final question, which is if our listeners would like more information about I Love You So Much, I Could Die, or about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Well, on the New York Theater Workshop website, there's some ancillary material that's really cool. Me and my friend Will Butler did an interview that's on there. Will Butler is an amazing musician and wrote the music for Stereophonic and has a band, Will Butler and the Sister Squares, one of my favorite bands. So if people want to watch an interview about music, that's on there. It's on YouTube too. And there's a link to Michael Paulson did a piece on me and Lucas, a profile for the Times. And so if they just go to the New York Theater Workshop website and scroll down, they'll see a few things like supporting material to go along with the piece. And then if people want to get in touch with me, they can reach out through my agent, Emma Fywell at WME. And I think that that information is available on my new play exchange. I have a new play exchange and her contact is on there. Perfect. Well, Mona, yeah. thank you so much, so, so much for taking the time to share your incredible work and all this amazing insight. This has truly been an honor and I so appreciate your time today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the very sweet and insightful, evocative questions. <laughs> My pleasure. My guest today has been the incredible playwright and performer, Mona Pernod, whose current show, I Love You So Much, I Could Die, is playing now through March 9th at New York Theatre Workshop. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting nytw.org. Also, as she referenced, there's some great ways to get a hold of her. You can find contact information on her new play exchange or come out to the theater, which is always a great option. And you only have a little more than a week to catch this incredible show. I love you so much. I could die. It's playing now through March 9th at New York Theater Workshop. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. 
simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Tell us where I don't